Today's episode of the Watson Weekly Podcast is sponsored by Commerce Tools. The world of commerce is fast-paced and constantly changing. Commerce Tools, the global leader in commerce and creator of the powerfully composable mock architecture, enables commerce leaders to turn possibilities into reality. Commerce Tools helps businesses go from underperforming to overachieving, and from keeping up to setting the pace, all at a lower total cost. Go to commercetools.com to learn how to get started. It's August 7th, 2023, and this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today on our show, TikTok shop aspires to become the fourth most important channel. Etsy marketplace boycott. Amazon resets its grocery strategy. Shopify reports Q2 2023 earnings. And finally, the Investor Minute, which contains seven items this week from the world of venture capital, acquisitions, and IPOs. But first, in our shopping cart full of news, TikTok shop aspires to become the fourth and most important channel. You can forgive most brands if they're skeptical about social e-commerce. They have heard the hype and been burned before, mostly by Meta and then continued analyst reports that live stream and social commerce will take over U.S. e-commerce. Many North American mid-market and enterprise brands have the following brand priorities in terms of revenue in no particular order due to the differences in the companies and positions. Retail, Amazon, and direct-to-consumer. You do see a different mix of channels among a lot of brands. For some brands, they are revising the Amazon bucket into Amazon plus Walmart marketplace online, indicating the growing importance of Walmart. Enterprise brands usually have the highest proportion of retail. The two and three spots can sometimes flip between direct-to-consumer and Amazon, depending on how brand-forward the firm is. And there are a lot of categories, including like home improvement where many supplies are essentially white goods. If you're more brand-forward, direct-to-consumer is important. Maybe less so. Amazon is more important. Up-and-coming brands usually have a higher proportion of direct-to-consumer, but as they progress from emerging into mid-market, they are adding retail distribution in Walmart, Target, and then category-specific retailers at a more rapid clip than direct-to-consumer. There is still a large segment of marketplace-first brands that grew up on Amazon that are always looking to grow their direct-to-consumer businesses. You rarely see these brands end up in retail, folks like Anchor being the rare exception. The big question then is, where are the next opportunities? The candidates are as follows. Versus TikTok, live streaming and social commerce, will the hype finally realize? There are a few other live stream candidates out there as well, but none with as much potential as TikTok for obvious reasons. A while ago, we thought traditional US and European brands would dominate social commerce. The rise of Xi'an makes everyone wonder if Chinese influencers could run the show in North America instead. The recruiting has already begun on the TikTok side. As far as Xi'an, any discussion of the next most important channel needs to discuss the growth of Xi'an. Regardless of what you think about the business model, labor practices, they are a force to be reckoned with and have captured a lot of younger consumer attention and sentiment. The launch of Xi'an's third-party marketplace must be mentioned. Timu gets a mention, but more likely it's Wish 2.0 than Amazon 2.0. As far as the shop app itself, the channel doesn't deserve a mention here. While the inventory is interesting, the shopping experience doesn't match TikTok and consumer interest, Amazon in efficiency, or Shein or Timu in scale and reach. 
That said, the biggest question to Shopify is how it will attract customer imagination without competing with its own brand's marketing efforts. Currently, this seems destined to be more like Etsy 2.0 than anything. And actually, just yesterday in the earnings call, I saw Shopify started referring to its shop app as a mobile online storefront, which is extremely different than what it was doing before. What about the metaverse? Sorry, maybe try again in 10 years. Our second story, Etsy Marketplace Boycott. Headlines look great until you put them into context. Quote unquote, hundreds of Etsy sellers are boycotting Etsy. Okay, that sounds bad. How many Etsy sellers are there? Joe from Marketplace Pulse mentions about 5.9 million. Is this really a story? The BBC reported that hundreds of sellers had 75% of their funds held for 45 days. The reasons are reportedly not revealed. And it's not just Etsy. Every Amazon seller on the platform who's been there at least five years has their own version of a funds held or a delisted suppressed item story. The risks are real. Now, despite whether or not this boycott will actually do anything, the only way to avoid marketplace risks is to avoid dependencies. Get into retail, have your own website, be present on other marketplaces. Logically, any single channel with more than 40% concentration is a tremendous risk to your well-being as a small business owner. If you liken it to the stock market, it would be like betting 50% of your net worth on a single stock rather than buying a broad index fund that distributes your risk. While I'm not defending Etsy's actions here, usually big marketplaces can be restrictive and onerous for a few reasons. One, they can get away with it. There's a power dynamic here. Two, you aren't their primary customer. The buyers are. You're just a vendor to a lot of marketplaces and a somewhat easily replaceable one at that. Three, they get targeted. People talk a lot about buyer fraud, but the reality is that seller fraud is the most insidious form of fraud on a marketplace. Buyer fraud can only target a single transaction at a time, whereas seller fraud can defraud hundreds or thousands of buyers before someone finds out. The marketplace itself is out money in this case, and you have many more upset buyers. This risk of seller fraud is the reason why marketplaces are so restrictive with seller funds and policies. I try not to pay attention too much to reports about marketplace boycotts. It detracts from the main goal, doing business. I kind of was always told, God helps those who help themselves. And the way to help yourself as a seller, get your sales in a couple more baskets, especially if you can't afford the risk. Otherwise, I kind of also like Warren Buffett's advice too, especially if you have enough cushion to take risks. Put all your eggs in one basket and then watch that basket. Of course, that's easy for Warren Buffett to say, but different than an average seller is able to do. Well, actually, we have some late-breaking news here, and I consider it kind of a wow. It seems like Etsy has relented. Guess I really have no idea what I'm talking about here. Maybe you should shut off the podcast. I think there's a really a little bit different climate now. If you look at all the kind of like whole Reddit moderator strikes out there, Etsy was worried that more sellers would shut off their stores and this could spread elsewhere. So it looks like Etsy has reconsidered their position will end up actually removing its reserves. So maybe this is something of a happy ending for these Etsy sellers. Our third story, Amazon resets its grocery strategy. Last week, Bloomberg reported that Tony Hoggett, SVP of Amazon Worldwide Grocery Stores and former Tesco executive, revealed a few major upcoming changes for Amazon's grocery strategy. Here are a few of the items mentioned. First, unified online cart for Amazon, Amazon Fresh, and Whole Foods. Two, 
Starting last week, Amazon Fresh will begin inviting people to order from it even if you're not a Prime member, although I'm sure it may not be the same discounts and benefits. Three, revamping physical stores, putting donuts, yeah, you heard that right, donuts in the front, adding 1,500 items and updating the stores to be more bright and fresh. This kind of marks the first public notice of a step forward in Amazon's plans following consistent retrenchment and closings in the past year for Amazon Fresh. A few comments on the approach. You can almost write this Amazon six-pager yourself. Our stores are too exclusive, confusing, tired. Our digital experience is not open enough. Our assortment is disjointed and poor, and we make customers jump through too many hoops. This needs to change. See? There you go. The company seems determined to fix its online grocery business first, while still more slowly investing into physical retail. This makes sense given Amazon's strengths, and Amazon seems to be investing in specific markets to test its approach. Illinois, Southern California, Northern Virginia, and Washington State. By the way, hallelujah on the unified carts for grocery. Talk about an annoyance from presumably a high-tech company. What was the point of three carts to begin with? I think Conway's law is the answer. And these changes recognize that Amazon's internal organization structure did not match their desired customer experience. Kudos to Amazon for recognizing that. Most organizations are completely blind to it. Of course, left unsaid are the packaging and delivery improvements still needed for online grocery. As someone who's tried Amazon Fresh and Whole Foods delivery in New York City for the past few years, Amazon is still far behind Fresh Direct and how it cares for and packaging its online grocery orders. They did mention that they're adding refrigerated sections to their urban warehouses, which is another step forward. Amazon is somewhat throwing their just walk out technology under the bus a bit. Self-checkout lines are being added. This kind of leaves just walk out in stores, but admitting it's like very new and may not be for everyone. To me, this is just the first in a long line of emissions and its technology is not ready for wide adoption by the public. In summary, Amazon Fresh stores will look like somewhat regular grocery stores, backed by the power of Amazon online distribution. At least it's a step in the right direction. And our last story, Shopify reports Q2 2023 earnings. Last week, Shopify reported its quarterly earnings. And as a quick summary, it seems to me that Shopify is not having to play defense almost at all. Their current base seems well defended and Shopify is playing offense across several new sectors. Gross merchandise volume, revenue, and free cash flow all are accelerating relative to last year and quarter, which is all positive. Europe is growing faster than the US, point of sale growing faster than online, and plus is growing faster than standard versions. And also, Commerce Components has opened up several new enterprise conversations. As far as highlights for Q2, Their gross merchandise value accelerated 17% year-over-year compared to 15% in Q1. Revenue increased 31% year-over-year to $1.7 billion compared to 25% in Q1. Merchant solutions are up 35% compared to 31% in Q1, and half of this is due to GMV growth. Subscription solutions are up 21% year-over-year compared to 11% from Q1, which is showing the effect of Shopify's price increases on their standard plans. Monthly recurring revenues increased 30% to $139 million. In Q1, monthly recurring revenues, as of the end of the quarter, they increased 10%. So going from 10% to 30% also shows the effect of these price increases. 
$1.6 billion in operating loss, which is due to accelerating stock options related to the logistics business and a one-time impairment. Q1 operating loss was $193 billion or 13% of revenue. If you take out this one-time impairment of $1.7 million, they would actually have $100 million in operating profit. This would be about a 5.8% operating profit. As far as Shopify's Q3 2023 outlook, revenue to grow at a low 20s rate, gross margin is expected to be 2 to 3 percentage points higher than Q2, mostly because of getting rid of Deliver. And operating expenses are flat to slightly up, which actually analysts kind of think they're sandbagging here. Accelerating free cash flow profitability does seem greater in the second half than the first half, according to Shopify. My commentary here, their CFO, Jeff Hoffmaster, said that Shopify has returned to its previous margin profile it had before the logistics adventure. And of course, there was a fire sale of logistics. It's now done. To break that down, there was a $1.3 billion impairment due to its logistics sale, $165 million in stock-based compensation acceleration, and $148 million loss due to write-off and severance. And you can see clearly why they wanted to offload this boat anchor on their business model so quickly, despite their previous sunny rhetoric about logistics. On the call, AI was a new shiny object to replace logistics, but it would seem to be a little bit harder for analysts to understand since it can't actually be attached with hard numbers. One analyst even said, I have a big hole in my model here after you guys punted logistics. Should I insert AI in there and how do I do so? No answer. Shopify also plans to be doing more brand marketing offline like TV, audio, and direct mail. Historically, Shopify has not liked this, but they seem to have quantified their ROI here. I also could only laugh at least a little bit to hear management discuss new sales methodologies, and these sound like very corporate that might impact sales that are brought in by Bobby Morrison. This is only to say Shopify has always been about product-led growth, and this sounds decidedly more enterprise level. At least some of the rebels are growing up. Hey, Watsonians, this is Rick. If you haven't joined other listeners in our online community, you're only getting half the value from this podcast. Our community contains members from all around the world discussing the most interesting topics we cover on the show. Just last week, over five listeners like Miles Thomas were talking about Fanatic's recent launch of live shopping. You can join the conversation now at community.rmwcommerce.com. Now a word from our sponsor, Commerce Tools. When a multi-billion dollar beauty brand's e-commerce platform neared the end of its life, the entire business was at risk including the ability to serve customers. By switching to commerce tools and embracing a more flexible mock architecture, the retailer's vision for connecting in-store and personalized shopping experiences became a reality. The brand can now roll out new features within days, securing its position as a modern brand that uses technology to its advantage. If you're being held hostage by your technology platform and your developers have thrown up their hands, tell them to start a free trial at commercetools.com today. It's that time, friends, for our Investor Minute. We have seven items on the menu today. First, Bread Beauty Hair Care releases seed round from Fearless Fund. Bread Beauty Supply is focused particularly on textured and curly hair. The company is already selling through Ulta and Sephora in addition to its own direct-to-consumer website. I wonder if the Watsonians think that Bread Beauty might be a fit for this host. Second, Multi-channel software Polar Analytics raises a $9 million Series A. 
The company is looking to bring all of Shopify's channel and marketing data into one place, which is a crowded category in the Shopify world. The company plans to use the funding to add to its research and development teams and grow from 2,000 merchants today to 10,000 merchants in the future. Third, Kim Kardashian Skims raises $270 million Series C to hit a $4 billion valuation. In case you didn't have enough Kim Kardashian news in your life, her brand Skims just raised a lot of money to continue to expand its global presence. The company plans to use the funding to expand into new product categories as well as its presence in physical retail. I also hadn't realized they were making their first steps into the UK market with a pop-up shop trial in Selfridges. Fourth, digital goods marketplace WAP raises $17 million Series A. WAP, and I'm actually not making this name up, it's a marketplace for people who are selling access to digital products. And when I say digital products, to this podcaster, the products on there look sketchy as they're all kind of based on either like day trading automated checkout apps to defeat sneaker comedy drops, and crypto. I guess there's a market for grift. Fifth, Shopify app aggregator and developer AppHub raises $95 million. AppHub currently owns about 25 Shopify apps today and claims over 150,000 merchants are using apps owned by AppHub. Looks to me that AppHub is not just a traditional aggregator, but a developer of its own apps as well. Sixth, Authentic Brands Group requires Rockport out of bankruptcy. Authentic Brands Group is the largest player in the brand licensing industry and continues to grow by raising money and acquiring new brand properties. Brand licensing firms tend to rescue good brands in bad situations and expand into new categories and countries, collecting marketing royalties as they go. Rockport definitely falls into their typical portfolio. And finally, fintech platform Croissant raises $24 million in seed funding. $24 million by Croissant is a large seed round, you might think, but it looks like Croissant is owned by a large financial institution which uses its portfolio as a kind of marker into investing in alternative asset classes. In particular, Croissant is partnered with fashion and luxury brands and offers consumers a, quote, guaranteed buyback price at checkout time in case a consumer might want to resell the product back later. Which I guess would be great, except if you read the fine print where it says that the guaranteed buyback price is more of a suggestion than a guarantee. Isn't this a dark pattern posing as a business model? Given this, I would expect that all this funding is not venture capital, but perhaps is structured more like a debt facility. I mean, go ahead and try to Google croissant. I dare you. What goes into decisions to name a brand after something else well-known? Perhaps they were just excited to acquire the croissant.com domain. Or as the French say, croissant. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson. CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting, host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar. The show is produced by Jose Baez, production manager Gabriela Montaqui. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.